You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 49. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Hey guys, so uh, just a couple of, I'll keep it very brief announcements before we hop into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Number one, as we announced on the last podcast episode, we are hosting a kinky sex positive uh, New Year's Eve play party at the Baltimore Playhouse this year. Again, this will be our fourth year in a row. If you've never been before, it is an amazing time. Uh, so tickets are available. Um, you can get them cheaper online than you can at the door. So go ahead, check that out. You can go to the show notes at atouchofflavor.com forward slash 049, or you can check out the event on our Facebook page for Touch of Flavor. Uh, second thing is talking about our Single to Satisfied program. Our Single to Satisfied program is our dating program for folks in non-traditional relationships. We decided by popular demand to open a class on December 10th. It's the first time we've run this program in 18 months. And in the program, we teach you how to find and attract and successfully date folks who are like yourself, either kinky or poly, and how to get on the road to being able to date regularly and to be able to deeply connect with people and build the kinds of relationships that you want. Hopefully by the time this goes out, we'll still have a couple of slots available. We are capping the size of the class to 15 and we've had a a pretty high demand. The first step to that is booking a free consult with Cassie to talk about what's going on in your dating life and if you'd be a good fit for the program. So to see if there's any consult slots available, you can go to atouchofflavor.com forward slash S2S for single to satisfy. That's atouchofflavor.com forward slash S2S. All right. This question is from Dan and this says, I need advice. My wife and I have been poly for five years and have two children. We are in a relationship with two other couples a bisexual male-female couple, and a bisexual female-female couple, and neither of them have children. Due to a low sperm count and quality, the male-female couple can't conceive. The female-female couple have asked me to give the younger wife a child naturally, and now the male-female couple want to do the same thing. They love me, I love them, and they feel that they would rather have somebody they love do this instead of a stranger or a sperm donor. I want to know what the responsibilities and expectations are of me. My wife and I have gladly agreed to do it, and we love how all the children will be siblings. The one couple moved in with us 10 months ago. We make a great family. And in the next two months, the female-female couple will be coming to live with us as well. All the adults are involved and in our children's lives in positive ways. I want to make our families blend well with no major issues. Cassie. So... I think the first thing is, is that it seems like all of you guys have put a lot of 
thought behind this. Like, you know, it's not something that you're just jumping into. It's been some discussion, things like that. The discussion around like the benefits and the positives of like knowing who is being the donor, being you. I'd say the big thing here to really keep in mind isn't so much like what your responsibilities are. And I'll talk about that in a minute, but more around, you know, the protections and things like that, that are going to be needed. So like, is your state something where you can, where they have what's called like a free donor state, which is anybody can be a donor and all you have to do is slide a piece of paper versus other states, you have to actually go through like a clinic and how that affects everybody. Like, so really, really, really spend some time and look into not only like the emotional component, but like the legal component to what's going on with all of this. Certainly with the, you know, female, female couple, if they're looking to be like the parents legally, you know, because you're talking about all of you guys being parents, you know, cohabiting, they want to make sure that they're protected so that way they're legally parents, things like that. So I would say first, look at that. As far as sort of, you know, the expectations, you guys sort of have like a polycule, poly family that's all planning on living together. And these should be discussions like who gets called what, like what are the parents' you know, interactions, who's responsible for dealing with not only the fun stuff, but also like sometimes being parenting can be daunting and <laughs> the unfun parent stuff. So having discussions around what those expectations are and what people would like to do including yourself as well as everybody else, like what roles people want to play. And from there, having some ideas of like legal protections for each person is a good idea. Yeah. So I'm going to approach this. And this is interesting. This is one of those things where you'll actually get slightly different answers from Cassie and I, right? So sometimes you'll get us building on each other and sometimes you'll get slightly different things. I'm not sure which one this is. So you you ask kind of what are the responsibilities and expectations? And I'm, I'm not going to spend all day on this, but I kind of view this as three things, Right. There's like three levels here. The first answer to this would generally be, well, it's whatever you agree to, right? The expectations and responsibilities are whatever you guys agree to as far as how you're going to divide time, divide child rearing responsibilities and those kinds of things. So that would be the first level. Second level, though, I think would also be when you're talking about kids, there is like an ethical level of okay, well, this may be what we agreed to, but what really is ethically okay for me to do to, you know, to, to do as far as the child? So you may, you know, just giving an example, not saying this is you at all, but you may feel that it is, you know, it, it may be perfectly fine in some ways to like have an agreement, like I'm going to have this kid, I'm going to live in the house with them and I'm not going to want anything to do with them. But then ethically is that, you know, is that something that you're comfortable with ethically? So there's the agreements level and there's the ethically level, right? And those generally would be really all kind of the levels of concerns. But here, and I'm going to go back to what Cassie said here, you really need to be careful with this legally because legally the responsibilities and expectations that you have may be very different from what you guys are negotiating and you may not be aware of it. Um, Just as, you know, as a common part of this, in a lot of states, if you are the sperm donor, there's a presumption that you will be expected to provide child support, that kind of thing, Right. Um, so I think it's really important, especially in the situation that you guys are in for you guys to find a poly friendly attorney, uh, somebody who's familiar with this kind of stuff. The national coalition for sexual freedom has, and you'll hear us refer to this a lot, but what's called a kink aware professionals directory on their website. I'd go there. I'd find a lawyer in the area and you guys need to go and talk to a lawyer. And then probably you guys need to talk to lawyers separately (laughs) 
after that, right? So definitely, definitely, definitely make sure that you guys are taking, you know, you're coming to good agreements. You're in a place where you're fine ethically with things, but then also that you're making sure that legally everybody's covered so that what you guys think your responsibilities and expectations are, are what they actually are legally. I think that covers that. I'm, I'm not going to try your name because I'm sorry. I'm, 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 Incredibly worried that I'll botch it. But this question says, I have been considering becoming poly, but I'm not very sexual and I don't really understand what poly means. I've always found myself in love with more than one person. And this has created problems for me as my past partners took it as I no longer love them, which is false. I just keep finding myself in love with two people. Does that make me poly? I don't really know much about it other than what I know about Mormons and the idea that you have... (laughs) Multiple sexual partners. You want to start in on this? Sure. Um, I mean, the short answer is yes. Yes. Polyamory is, you know, and a lot of people confuse polyamory with like polysexuous, you know, rather than like polyamorous, meaning I just want multiple people to have sex with. Not that any of those things are wrong. All of those things are options and perfectly reasonable. But for a lot of poly folks, it's not so much just about that sexual component. It's about that connection, that falling in love with, that relationship that you have with somebody else. And so what you are describing as far as like falling in love with more than one person, yeah, that might mean that you're poly. You know, it might be, it might be who you are. That being said, polyamory is in a lot of ways very different than being Mormon. So, right. So, <laughs> so you have kind of this umbrella of open relationships, right? And open relationships are poly and swinging. And, and the problem, part of the problem that you're going to have is a lot of these definitions differ depending on who you ask, right? So I'm just going to give a really high level here. So you have like open relationships, which is like poly, swinging. I mean, really, that's mainly like, like open marriage, you know, all that kind of stuff. Polyamory specifically, depending on who you talk to, but according to most people, Polyamory is having multiple simultaneous romantic relationships with more than one person at a time. So what you describe being in love with more than two people would absolutely make you poly. And that is absolutely fine. Kind of when you talk about Mormons, I know a lot of people kind of come to knowing about poly from like big love or living in Utah or that kind of thing, right? The big difference between polyamory as most polyamorous people practice it and the way it's practiced in Mormonism is that Mormonism really sticks to a really specific kind of poly, which is, you know, one man, multiple wives. And that's one possible way to structure a poly relationship, but it's only one possible ways of like a million ways to do it, right? (laughs) There's a saying that there's as many ways to structure poly relationships as there are folks who do poly. And that is quite true. Yeah. And as far as you know, what works for you, you're going to have to figure that out. You know, like, do I like, you know, group polyamory? Do I like individual polyamory? Like, and there's all kinds of different words for things and things like that. Don't get caught up too much in the terminology of trying to define yourself with the terminology, but figuring out what actually works for you and those you have relationships with too, right? Because the people that you're with have feelings and thoughts. But yeah, I think the short answer is is that you're probably polyamorous and going forward, something that'll make things a little easier for you is when you have partners and things like that, knowing that up front, you can look for like your own kind, people who are open to those kind of relationships and things like that. So that way you don't feel kind of torn as far as like 
I'm dating someone who's monogamous and isn't open to that at this point. Yeah. All right. Our next question is from Heather. And this says, Heather has a question about the desire gap, which by the way, tells me right offhand that you've read some of our stuff about this, because as far as I know, we're the only people who call this the desire (laughs) gap. I'm in a closed triad and we're struggling. Uh, One partner is satisfied early and then feels left out when the other two want some more. How can we make sure everyone gets what they need without feeling left out or dissatisfied? It's not jealous feelings, but feeling left out, I think. So I'll start with this if you want. Can I? Okay. So first off, jealousy is not an emotion, okay? Jealousy is many different kinds of emotions or sometimes a mix of emotions. So feeling left out can be a feeling of jealousy, but it's really irrelevant. Um, We sometimes put a focus on like jealousy feelings or bad feelings, whereas feeling left out is an okay feeling or this. All emotions are okay. It's how we deal with them. So I just wanted to take kind of a sidestep on that, that it doesn't really matter if it's a jealousy emotion or not. It's still a negative emotion that's affecting this partner. Now you can pick up. (laughs) Okay. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the term desire gap, although I think it is fairly self-explanatory, um, it is, it's a, a term that as far as I know, we coined to talk about differences in like sexual libido or sexual desire among people in a relationship. And this happens in every relationship. And this is actually a topic we really enjoy talking about quite a bit. Um, we teach on this and we have all kinds of fun stuff, podcasts mm, and things like lots that. Lots of conversations on it. Lots of conversations. So a close triad like Heather's in where you have three people and, and typically what a close triad means is you have three people who are all, in, are all in a relationship and none of them are doing anything romantic or sexual with people outside of that relationship, right? You get a little bit into that, that definition fuzziness again, but typically that's what it means. And that is actually a situation where I feel like in a lot of ways you can have more problems around like desire gaps than in a typical relationship, right? Because now you're trying to balance three people and make that work and avoid these problems where, you know, you have somebody who's maybe feeling left out when other people are trying to get their needs met. And you don't have, at the same time, you don't have any kind of like outside venting. And we've actually been in similar-ish, I don't want to say exactly similar, but similar situations before and found that it caused quite a few problems. You can actually sum that up, although I have to give our partner credit. She, she, it was, it was <laughs> us inducing it, not her. Yeah. So years ago, we were in a triad, not the, you know, Josh. And it was Ke- closed at the time, too. Yeah. Not, not the, the Rigel, Amanda and Cassie triad that lots of you know of, but a different triad, not with Amanda. At the time, it was an amazing relationship, and we were with someone who had a lower sex drive. And because we didn't want to make her feel left out, and because we didn't want to make her feel bad or put pressure or things like that, we just wouldn't have sex when she didn't want to, right? Like we would, we would be like, okay, she's not in the mood, so all of us are going to sit out. And what it ended up leading to was things like Josh and I needing to like leave, you know, hanging out with her, like leave her house to go home for a quickie to come back and some resentment and also some like feelings of like, this doesn't feel good. So you don't want to put yourself in that situation where people aren't doing what they need and desire in their relationships to try to compensate that. But you also don't want to make people feel bad either. Yeah. So now to move to kind of the converse of that, right? 
in our current relationship, there's actually a really, really significant desire gap. And we could talk about this because Amanda, bless her heart, has has given us permission on multiple occasions to use this <laughs> as an example. In our current relationship, Cassie and I both are fairly high sex drive people and Amanda is not. And that has the possibility to cause some issues and a lot of people feeling unfulfilled. However, you know, we've been able to work around it. And I'll talk about how in just a second. And similarly to what you're talking about, Heather, when she does want to do stuff, right? She's more of like a 10, 15 minute person and Cass and I are more like, okay, great. So now we still need to like do stuff for like another hour. So the answer to this is this. In Amanda's words, marathon sex. <laughs> yes, in Amanda's words, marathon sex. The answer to this is, is really this. It's important. So this is kind of the sum up of the stories here for you, Heather. It's really important for you and your partner the one who's higher libido, to make sure that you're getting your needs met. Because the problem is when you're not getting your needs met, you guys aren't going to be happy and you're going to start getting resentful of this person for keeping you guys from getting what you need. And it's a harsh way of saying it, but speaking from experience, it's true. Except in our case, it wasn't the partner's fault. It was ours for, you know, not, not doing what she was offering and us just having sex when she was around without her involved. You don't want to let that happen. If you have a partner who's satisfied easily, really the best way to handle that is to do stuff with them, let them get their stuff out and continue to do stuff, right? And there needs to be an acknowledgement or realization on their part that you guys have these needs, right? And it's perfectly fine that, you know, that they're not up for having sex for an hour, right? But that's still something that you guys need and you guys need to be able to get fulfilled so that you guys can be happy and fulfilled in your own relationship. And so that kind of has to be the the, the understanding and the balance there, right? Is you guys need to make sure that's getting fulfilled and your partner needs to give you the space to do that. And that's something that Amanda is absolutely fantastic with. And that's how we've been able to make that situation work, even though there are vastly different sex drives in the relationship. I'm going to take another approach. Go. So all of that, <laughs> all <laughs> of that all is of that good. And? and if your partner is feeling left out, there's a couple of conversations that I recommend having. And these are conversations that we've had with Amanda, which is things like, you know, is it okay for your partner to rehop in if they get re-energized? Or are they made to feel like if I tap out and I move away and I'm no longer engaging, I'm not invited in anymore? So having that conversation of like, if it is okay, or if it's not, and if it is okay, if, you know, how your partner can kind of like join back in and, and be part of that, that situation. If it's, you know, again, something where they're tiring out and they're just done, is there ways that maybe that partner can still be involved, but not in like a high sexual way? Something that I really appreciate about Amanda is sometimes she'll like play with my hair and we'll hold hands or kiss or things like that, but isn't necessarily involved. So that way that partner can feel like they're still involved and still around and still in things, but not necessarily feeling pressured to have sex. So some of the conversations may be like, when you're tired out, does that mean you don't want any physical touching or does that mean you don't want to feel pressured to actually have sex? Are you feeling left out and jealous because you feel like you can't come back in? Well, that's another conversation. Is it cool to come back in? And if so, like, do you guys have like a cue for that? Like, okay, I'm coming back in. One of the things that, you know, I discuss with Amanda is like, if you're interested in hopping back in, just put like a hand on my shoulder and I'll know, like, and I'll bring it right on back in on it, you know, but having like conversations like that, because 
as the partner who might be sitting out, they may be feeling like once I leave, I can't rejoin. And they may also be feeling like I want to be involved, but I don't want to be having sex. All right. We're going to move on to the next question here. This question is from Mike. I just watched your video on Facebook about poly-mono relationships, and I'm currently experiencing a similar situation. I've been with my partner for over a year. When we first met, I was already poly with multiple partners and she was single. I disclosed my relationship preferences to her up front and asked if she would be okay in a poly relationship, and she said yes. Initially, she was able to handle it, but over time, she became jealous of my existing and potential partners. Based, essentially, due to various factors, I'm currently only dating her, and she's been attempting to force me into monogamy. I've told her I don't want monogamy, and although I'm not dating anybody else at the moment, I may find myself in a situation where I'll want to in the future. I'm now hesitant to date other people because I know that she's not okay with it. We've had several conversations where I've tried to assure her that I care about her and that me seeing other people doesn't change the way I feel about her, but she refuses to listen and thinks she's not good enough for me and that I don't love her. I'm considering leaving her because I don't see a solution where both of us can be happy. Are other poly people experiencing similar issues? Can you please help me? So the first answer is yes, other poly people experience those issues. Many other poly people. Many, many other people um, go through that. And even folks who had partners who may have been in poly relationships before still fall into this having a partner who, or being that partner who then gets scared and is not open to really wanting to do poly anymore. They're trying to protect their relationship or themselves. Especially this isn't something that was like sprung on her. This was something that was brought up prior. It sounds as though she has gotten comfortable with how things are and fears that opening up. That's not to say that it can't be overcome and it can't be worked through, but there has to be a decision made. So when I talk to polymono couples- Which is surprisingly often. Yes, very often on, on some of our breakthrough calls. One of the main things that I tell people on the phone is there is ways to overcome these things. There is ways to find that bridge between fundamental differences, if you will. The issue is, is there has to be a decision. And the decision is either I'm deciding, fine, I'm going to be monogamous and give up polyamory, which obviously that's not something you're okay doing. Or, okay, I am mono and I'm willing to accept that my partner is going to be polyamorous and we're going to work towards that. Or I'm willing to give poly a try. But there has to be a decision to do so. Otherwise, you guys are going to continue to have conflict and continue to not feel good. So really the conversation needs to be about, is this relationship something that we're willing to try on any of those paths? And I never tell folks that you have to take one of, you know, which one of those three paths, you know, it could be fine. You're going to try monogamy for a while. Not that I suggest it if it's really who you are and what you want. And that goes for her as well. But is there something that the two of you are willing to try? And if you're willing to try, what are you looking for? What is it that you're really looking for there in this try? Are you looking to see if you still feel secure that you're being taken care of? Because a lot of this comes from fear, right? Like, I'm scared that if you get a partner, you're going to leave me or you're not going to have time for me, things like that. So what can we do to work on that, to make sure you are getting the time, making sure that you are getting your needs met? And those are in a new conversation. 
But the first part of this is making that choice of, am I willing to try this and be open to it? Or am I just going to like stick my heels in the ground and say, no, this is not it. And so is my other partner and we're both stuck in this place. And obviously then there isn't any moving forward. Okay. I, you, you nailed it. Um, you know, the, the only thing I want to say is, uh, first off, if you guys find yourself in a polymono relationship, we did an entire live on polymono, which I think right now is actually our most popular live. So if the numbers, uh, if the numbers tell me true. So, um, you guys definitely probably want to watch that. And, and, you know, something that I want to say that we, I, I don't think maybe we stressed enough in that live is it is possible. It is definitely possible. We see people do it all the time. And, and as we say in that live, we're actually constantly shocked to find the number of relationships that are out there that are poly mono, right? That, that's not something that you think of a lot or something that you hear a lot about in the poly community. And, you know, I guess it's because we have more of like a, an interaction with the general public than a lot of people do, but we get it like multiple times a day. Um, so it's not an uncommon thing and it absolutely is possible, right? It absolutely is possible to... Um, make those relationships work. People do it constantly. We, we as, as again, as we said, that about half the people who've come through our our uh, mastering open relationships program, which is poly coaching, have been poly mono people, right? But it is not easy, and I, I don't want to give that impression, right? But it is doable. Yep. So this is this is a question that I got in uh, as <laughs> somebody Facebook messaged this back within ten seconds of us putting up this post. Um, which is maybe the shortest question we've had all day, <laughs> which is why is it so all capital, so hard to find poly women? I'm in a city of 18 million people. Where are they all? Maya, who's also <laughs> a woman, by the way. Um, they're there. Um, so part of this is going to be me asking questions back. And I know that you're not on and that's why you sent it in was because you weren't going to be on. But these are some questions to ask yourself. Okay. Where am I looking, right? So if you're looking online, primarily just online dating, you're going to find that you're not really finding like single poly women. You're going to find a lot of women who are poly, who are, you know, married and looking for their third, things like that. I don't know where you're located, but getting out into like your kink and polyamorous communities is really, really helpful. And there are a ton of poly women. If you look in the, you know, just in the chat right now, I see quite a few. There's plenty of poly women, but it's looking in the right places. So women get bombarded with messages, tons and tons and tons of messages. So we tend to not pay attention to things like online dating sites, things like that. And a lot of us are used to, even when women message us, it being like, uh, yeah, a bait and switch is a good word for it. Like, I'm a bisexual woman just looking for a date for myself. And then you get out on a date or you have a couple of messages and you find out really what they're saying is, is, hey, I'm single right now until I get your attention. And now I want you to be my husband's girlfriend, too. So um, online dating with trying to find poly women is difficult because there's a lot of noise out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's mainly, you know, it's, it's really about getting out and it's really about, um, it's really about getting involved, right? One, one of the things that, that can be very helpful with this is 
actually getting out and getting involved. And by involved, I don't mean volunteering, right? But just getting involved and interacting with your kind. And the reason that's so helpful is, A, right, you're, you're, you're likely to meet people that way, right? You're likely to meet people who are your kind. But B, you know, just as importantly is that when you have friends who are poly, they have other friends who are poly that they hook you up with or introduce you to, right? Like, I think that's an often underlooked aspect of this whole thing. It's not just about the people you're getting out of meeting. It's about all the people that they know as well. Um, so I'd say, you know, and, and especially as Cassie said, you know, you have to understand poly women online, like they're getting so many messages that you're probably not even breaking through the noise. Not to say that you can't date successfully online as a kinky or poly person. Plenty of people do, right? But I'm assuming that's probably something you've already tried because that's usually people's first go-to, right? And if that's not working for you, it is really important for you to get out and actually get among your kind and actually meet people. And what I would suggest as far as like people are always like, well, what's the first thing to do? Google your area and polyamory. And most likely a group or a munch or something like that will come up. You can check like meetup, things like that. But I have found it's incredibly helpful to Google polyamory and big like metro area. big metro area. <laughs> okay. And definitely look on Meetup, right? Yeah. Like that's, you know, look on Meetup and find some groups. Um, we have, due to popular demand, opened up our uh, Single Dissatisfied, which is our kinky dating program, um, for the first time in like 18 months. It's starting mid-December. We've got like 12 slots. If you're trying to learn how to like find and attract and connect with uh, non-traditional people, people non-traditional or looking for non-traditional relationships... Yeah. And it's not just for kinky folks. It's also for polyamorous folks. So people who are just looking for like the non-traditional relationships because you said kinky yes. folks. So it's not just for kinky folks. So if that's something you're interested in, um, first step's a free call with Cassie to kind of get an idea of what your challenges are and if you might be a good fit. I'll post the link in the comments. It's atouchoflavor.com forward slash S2S for single to satisfied. And it will take you to book a free call with Cassie. I will say the response we've gotten has been overwhelming and it's actually keeps closing out all of our consult slots. Um, we literally ran out of consult slots for an entire week in like 12 hours after announcing this. So if it's something you're interested in, uh, just keep checking back. More slots are opening up, but we're having to tell people to check back because we have a lot of people who have gone there and haven't had anything available to book. So, Or message us and we can try to see if we can work out a spot to squeeze you in. That Mess also. We've Mess had a couple me. people reach out on Facebook Messenger <laughs> yeah. and they've had better luck. All right, so we have uh, like three questions here along the same lines. I'm just going to address, I'm just going to go through kind of the most uh, articulate one of these. Uh, I'm an older male who loves CFNM, which for those of you who don't know is clothed female naked male, which is like a specific fetish. I've had that experience three times in my youth, but where should I go now? My wife is not into that or anything kinky. And the other question is not about CFNM, but about, you know, like my partner's not kinky. How do I get them interested? That kind of a thing. Um, or where do I find my partner's not kinky? Where do I find somebody who will be kinky? That kind of thing. So we're going to kind of group this into one series of questions, like one series of answers for you guys and answer it that way. So I think in a way that will answer everybody's questions that were along this line. So you really have kind of, you're, if you're in a relationship with somebody, right, and they are 
uh, not fulfilling your needs in the way of like being kinky or poly or really at the end of the day, any other like really deep seated need that you have that you can't live without, right? You've got really four options. First off, you can stay together and have those needs unfulfilled, right? I'm going to, I'm going to start with the, the, the doomsday one, the doomsday ones, there I you suppose go. <laughs> you can stay together with your partner and not have those needs fulfilled. Right. And if that genuinely is a deep seated need, that's eventually going to cause like serious problems and dissatisfaction and resentment in your relationships. It's going to bleed over into other things. Right. So if it's something that you're just like, yeah, that'd be cool. I'd like that. And you're not getting it and your wife's not into it. Cool. Right. But if you're like, this is just, this is a part of who I am. This is a deep seated need. This is something that I need to be fulfilled in life and it's not getting fulfilled. You can sit on it, but you can only sit on it for so long because eventually those problems are going to kind of balloon and bleed over into other things and cause arguments and all these things. Then you're going to be coming and talking to us. So that's, that's one thing, right? Second thing is, is you can break up and I'll, I'll talk about that a little more in a second. That's not the ideal situation, right? But that is an option. Um, so let's talk about the two more, uh, palatable options, perhaps the two options that really is, these are one that you want to try, right? Because the fact of the matter is you've been together. Uh, I got the impression from this question. You've been together for years, right? You love this person and this, uh, you know, you, you don't want to just, if at all possible, drop this relationship, just to go try and, and get these needs met, right? So you want to see if you can come to a place where you guys can make this work and everybody can be happy and fulfilled in the relationship. So like, let's talk about the two options that are really actually going to potentially get you that. One is if your wife is open to non-monogamy, you can get those needs met elsewhere. And I know this is obvious to a certain extent, right? But this really truly is one of the huge benefits of polyamory that I think a lot of times people overlook. And that is... It lets you do this where you have somebody who you have like a fulfilling, meaningful relationship with, you know, maybe an entwined relationship, like you guys build a life together and you want to stay with this person, you love them and you want to support them, but you have this one thing that is an absolute need for you that you can't get met in that relationship. And Polly lets, Polly makes that, that, that situation workable where it might not otherwise work. You have any interjections there before I go further? Or maybe not poly, but at least ethically open. Yeah. Like it doesn't actually have to be necessarily even polyamory. That could be like play partners and just being open, that it kind of thing. It could be depending on where you live, your wife's okay with you going out and hiring a prostitute. I mean, like what, whatever the situation may be, right? So that's one option. And how to broach polyamory with your partner is a whole conversation. We actually have a whole video on how to talk to your partner about non-monogamy that is, I think, a live that's currently only available in our Facebook group. In our Facebook group, group yes. Um, so you can take a look at that. But before you go that route, right? So we've kind of been working from the bottom down here. Before you go that route of, okay, well, look, you can't fulfill this need, so I need to... Get other partners. Yeah, I need to get other partners. The first option is going to be, well, can you get these needs met from your wife? And this is where we kind of merge into all these other questions about how do I get my partner to try something kinky? You want to hop into that topic for a second? I'm gonna... So a lot of times people go about this the wrong way. They go, I'm kinky. I want all this stuff. Take it. Take it all. And for, for somebody who is, you know, maybe a little bit more 
reserved, maybe a little bit like, you know, I've never done anything in like missionary sex. That's a lot. That that can be really, really overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh, you just told me you want this, 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 and this. And rather than going to like, especially if it's something that you're looking for that is like, you know, maybe a little bit more on the like heavy end, right? Like backing that up a little bit and trying some stuff that's a little less intimidating and a little less, a little less kinky, still kinky, but a little less kinky and, and working your way up. Most of us, I would say pretty much everybody has done something that is kinky, right? Some of us have done things like eaten, you know, fruit off of our partners, you know, and or, you know, maybe dripped a little bit of candle wax. Or ice pinched, during sex. Yeah, ice during sex, pinched a nipple, whatever. We've all done something. Rough for, sex. Rough sex. Most people have, right? So the idea is that, you know, maybe, 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 maybe your partner has done nothing. And so this is even more important if the truth is your partner has really done nothing. I highly doubt that. But just saying, the less that someone's done the more you have to kind of start off at that base, you know, introducing things that are a little less intimidating and then going from there. So if you've had some like backing off, you know, like your partner being like, no, I'm not willing to do anything, maybe coming down to something that's a little less intimidating, you know, like something that's a little less like, whoa, and more like, "Mm, maybe, okay. Because that's going to allow for some of that trust to build and then some curiosity to build as well. Yeah. So I will throw in here because I always like to say this when I talk about this topic. If you know you're kinky or you know you're poly, it is better to date your kind than to get into a situation with somebody that you're potentially now you guys have spent a lot of time and a lot of feelings and you're at some base level really not compatible in a way that you could have avoided, right? I will just throw that out there. For people, and there's a lot of people who get in their relationship and then figure out that uh, I'm kinky, right? I'm, I'm sticking with kinky specifically because that's kind of where the questions were in poly, how to broach poly is another topic that we just kind of sat on. Mm-hmm. But you get in a relationship, you realize, hey, I'm kinky. I'm really briefly going to touch on a couple of ways you can look about kind of introducing that to your relationship. Dirty talk during sex, right? The great thing about dirty talk during sex is that you can get away with saying stuff during sex that if your partner does not react well to it, it later, was just the sex. It was just sex talk. Right? <laughs> it was just so the sex. That's uh, that's one way to do that. Second is is that you can just kind of introduce things very, very, very slowly in the bedroom, right? If your partner is up to stuff like, so, okay, so they're already up for rough sex. Like, well, are they up to having their nipples put a little bit? Are they up to having their hands held above their head? And as Cassie said, starting at like the really base, the lowest level that you can start and working up from there. Two other ways, just really quickly that you can give a shot. I'm really kind of, it's a broad topic that I'm having to kind of brush lightly on the surface of. You can leave uh, like books or magazines or stuff like that or lying around websites open the old like oops like oh I left up my thing my browser. on I left up my browser and it had this thing in it and well what do you think about that like how do you react like how does your partner react to that when they find that right that's one thing and then the other thing is you know one of the other common things is uh, if you guys watch porn together you can put on some porn that contains a little bit of the kinky stuff that you're interested in see how your partner reacts to it the important thing about all these things is that they're things that you can a start real real low and um, uh, 
then also things that give you a certain amount of deniability, right? Not that you should ever lie to your partner, but it's, it's, you know, if, if they're able in their own mind to say, well, you know, this thing that I really think my partner wants that's absolutely off the wall was sex talk, it's, it's, it's easier for them to take. So I'm just going to say that. The last thing I'm going to say about this is that um, you notice when I gave those options, cheating wasn't in there. And that's because cheating is wrong. Yeah, cheating uh, is bad. <laughs> cheating is wrong. And we have a very strong stance on that. And and the way I got this question initially, I'm not sure if the question was where can I go where my wife isn't going to like like where can I go find this even though my wife isn't interested like in like a on the down low kind of way. Cheating was not on that table. Like if you guys can't sort this out any of those other ways that we discussed and this is that burning of a need for you then you need to have an honest discussion about this is something that I need or I'm not going to be able to stay in this relationship. Cheating's not cool. And the last thing I want to say on this is you said my wife is not into anything kinky and with the other questions, it was very similar. Don't make that assumption. So (laughs) if you actually have not had a conversation before going through all of the things that we just discussed, actually have a fucking conversation with your partner. Because there's been lots of people that I've talked to who have been like, my partner's not kinky. They're not into any of that stuff. And come to find out there was never actually even a conversation or an attempt to like bring it up. So don't automatically assume just because your partner has never brought it up or maybe they're a little more reserved that that, that that's not a possibility. Yeah. All right. This is going to be the absolute last question, guys. And I'm only taking it because it's it's short. And again, I'm sorry, I don't want to try your name because I'm going to botch it. This may be a weird question, but can this type of relationship work with somebody who has no sex drive? Uh, the answer is yes. yes. Um, and mm-hmm. actually, and, and I think we'd kind of talked about this a little earlier, but maybe I didn't make it very clear. In a lot of ways, it can work better, right? Because, and I don't know if you're talking about you having no sex drive or somebody else having no sex drive, right? But the great thing about this, let's just say you have no sex drive, just as an example for a second, because it makes my example easier. If you were looking to be monogamous, that might really limit your potential dating pool because there's a lot of people for whom they need sex and that's somewhat of a, could be somewhat of a deal breaker, right? But if they're able to go get that fulfilled, that need fulfilled somewhere else, and they're able to have, you know, a lot of other kinds of fulfilling things that they do with you in a fulfilling relationship with you, then that can make that relationship work, whereas it might actually not have worked otherwise. Yeah. See, you you articulated that a lot better than I would have. I was going to say, like, in my relationship, if I was non-monogamous and I was just with Amanda, due to my high sex drive, I'd probably burn my house down. Yeah. So, so it works out very well. It works out great. <laughs> so guys, we're going to, uh, that's going to be it for the night. Um, and it was fantastic talking to y'all. I need to go and have some pizza. So <laughs> everybody. <laughs>Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1.